Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith America podcast. This is volume 100-something. Encroaching on 200-something, I would imagine. I don't know. Travis doesn't keep count. He thinks I'm an idiot for attempting to keep count, but we'll discuss that later. It was more of me just making my life easier, not keeping track. It is pouring outside of my house. I just got back from a physical, went to the doctor, got a physical, and parked in my driveway instead of my garage for the first time in forever. And it is like a cow peeing on a flat rock. That's a good thing though, right? Knock all that pollen down. Wash that pollen off. Did your physical come back? Doctors say that you're old. Yeah, that's exactly what they said. Diagnosis. Old. Geriatric. Uh, they, they, uh, they prescribed some Geritol for me. Old golden retriever. That's it. Oh, oh, by the way, we'll get into to being with Trevor for the NFL draft. We'll get into my experience at the Kentucky Derby and what a whirlwind week it was for me throughout this podcast. You will hear from Trevor. I had the opportunity to sit down with him after he was drafted for a, a lengthier conversation than the live broadcasts offered. And I also uh, went straight from his house to Churchill Downs, to Louisville, to the 147th running of the Kentucky Derby, the run for the Roses. Never bet against Baffert. That is what we learned once again in the run for the Roses. You will uh, have the opportunity. So last week on the podcast, we talked to my new friends who are the ownership group of Hot Rod Charlie. Amazing group of young men. If you didn't listen last week, they are former Brown University football players, five of them, who and fraternity brothers at Brown as well, and they wanted a reason to stay connected after college. And one of those young men, Patrick O'Neill, his father is Doug O'Neill, winning trainer of two Kentucky Derbies. Um. And, and so they got into the horse ownership business after college as a way to make sure that they stayed connected. And they find themselves in the Kentucky Derby with a horse capable of winning the damn thing. And so I chatted with them last week on the podcast, but on Friday night in Louisville, I went to a distillery with those young men. And we sat around and we sipped on some whiskey and we just talked about life and racing, and friendships, and perspective, and philanthropy. Uh, it was a great conversation. They, they're amazing young men. They have a spirit and a light within them that you don't see very often. And I said that to them on national television. We'll get into that much more coming up here on the podcast. But before we get to my conversation with Trevor and my conversation with the boys uh, of Boat Racing LLC, I appreciate so much how much you guys support this podcast. Make sure you are listening to the SV pod as well. That's my boy, Scott Van Pelt. I don't know if you really need any reasons to listen to his podcast because it's SVP. He's one of the greatest of all time. He just is. And not only is he one of the premier broadcasters ever in sports, he's also a great human being, just a really good person and takes time for people. When we were at the Masters, I was Travis and I were walking up the first fairway, and that dude's taking picture after picture after picture after picture, taking time with people, meeting their kids. Just a really good dude. I think that's the first time that uh, I saw people going to somebody else than you first. Well, he's a lot bigger star than I am. Yeah, <laughs> especially there. 
Download and subscribe to SV Pod and Marty Smith America wherever y'all get your podcasts. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Scotty's a, I mean, he's an icon, dude. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, I think when, when people think about ESPN, I think that there's, ooh, now it's thunder, thunderstorming. All right. Now let's move along to Marty Smith's America. We will start this week with the NFL draft. I went down to Clemson, South Carolina on Wednesday. We went over to Trevor Lawrence's house that he lives in in college. It's this massive barn, and it was absolutely phenomenal. One of the greatest garages I've ever seen. The living area was fantastic, and it was remote, so Trevor could live his life without being you know, worn out because he's the most famous football player ever there, probably him and Deshaun, I guess. And so went down there for the NFL draft, uh, went by there Wednesday to scout everything out, make sure the Wi-Fi was good, got everything squared away, squared away Wednesday, and then Thursday was uh, full tilt. Got ourselves ready, went over to his house, started doing a bunch of live shots, and uh, one of my favorite live shots I've ever done was the the off the top of the college game day show at 5 o'clock when he rolled up into my live shot, and it was just a fun moment, really fun moment. I, I'm grateful to, to Trevor and to Alan Zucker, his agent, who I've known forever and ever. Alan represented Danica Patrick when she was in NASCAR as well, and so I got to know him back then really well. Great people. Everyone that was around Trevor, it just, I can see why that was so important to him, why he wanted to experience this life changing moment with his loved ones. It was about 60 or 65 people there, teammates at Clemson, Coach Sweeney and his wife, Kathleen. Darius Rucker was in the house, lots of friends and family. His entire nuclear family was there, his wife, Marissa was there, her entire nuclear family, her parents and sisters were there. It was amazing energy, a beautiful energy and a lot of love. And after Trevor was drafted, I got the once-in-a-lifetime blessing of, of getting to do the first interview with him after, right after he got drafted and uh, on ABC. And that was the thrill of a lifetime, one of the coolest moments of my career. And he's just a – he has perspective far beyond his years. He's a great young man, and he's going to absolutely crush it in Jacksonville, Florida. So, afterwards, after all the hoopla calmed down, uh, Trevor and I sat down together for five or six questions because I wanted to learn a bit more about the man, not only what it was like to carry the weight of being the anointed one, that moment was expected of him since the eighth grade. And even if it's subconsciously, that's a lot to carry. I wondered what it had been like to carry it. And I wondered what his hopes were in Jacksonville. And I wondered who exactly is Trevor Lawrence away from the game. Here's my conversation on NFL Draft Night with Trevor Lawrence. All the buildup is now over. All the anticipation, all the wonder is over. You are the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. How do you describe this? Like, I love to see that. Like, that, that little grin tells me so much about what you've carried. How do you describe this? It's a, just a great feeling, obviously. Um, just hear everybody talk about it the last few months and just trying not to ever get ahead of myself and just put the work in and take it day by day and then finally 
just having full confidence, knowing like going to Jacksonville, I'm going to be a Jag. Uh, it feels good. Uh, and I'm just super excited to go to a community that's just like welcoming us with open arms already. And I love what they're building down there with Coach Meyer and everyone. So uh, just so excited. And like you said, there's been a lot leading up to it and just can't wait to go to work and, and you know, get settled in somewhere finally and go to work. You've been carrying this expectation since eighth grade. Everybody, you're the anointed one. And you said to me in the past that it was heavy at times. What's the most difficult part that comes with that kind of expectation? Yeah, I think you just always got to be on, switched on, whether that's, you know, just in life or on, on the field. Obviously, there's a lot of expectations, but that comes, with, that comes with the platform. So, you know, I've kind of embraced it and chose to see, you know, the, the good side of it. Um, there's a lot of good things I can do with my platform and uh, just like helping the community or whatever that may be. There's so many good things that can come from it, but obviously that comes with some, some things that aren't great all the time. So a lot of scrutiny, um, eyes on you all the time. So I think that was probably the hardest part for me to adjust to. But I think now, uh, you know, having dealt with it for three years at Clemson on the biggest stage in college, um, I think I'm, I'm more ready than, than you ever could be as a college guy moving on to the next level and just can't wait to, to see what happens in Jacksonville. You're going to be one of the faces of the NFL, man. There's a lot of people who don't know you yet. Who is Trevor Lawrence away from the game? Uh, just, just a normal guy that wants, to, that wants to lead a successful life. And I think successful to me means just treating the people around me right, caring for people in my community, you know, being a good husband, being a good dad one day, being a good son, brother, all those things. And you know, I, think, I think that counts as a, as a success. And then aside from that, obviously, you know, I'm driven. I want to be the best I can be on the field. And for me, that means giving it everything I have for as long as I can. And, if, and hopefully my whole career, it's in Jacksonville. Um, and that's, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm just excited for that. Your new head coach, Urban Meyer, told me that this is the most important day in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars franchise. What do you hope to help deliver to that city? Just me, just just be me and go in and, and put the work in, earn the respect and the trust of my coaches and teammates and take it day by day. Um, don't make it bigger than it is. Just trying to go in and, and be who I am. It's a dog playing it's great. here. It's great, bring, man. Bringing Indy with me. But uh, no, it's like, like just, just being myself. I think just that's the biggest thing is not trying to do too much, not trying to be someone else. Um, who I've been up to this point has been enough. It's going to continue to be enough. So just keep being me. How, do, how will you define success in the NFL? Success in the NFL, obviously, it's, I mean, pretty much every standard is about wins and losses, and um, I think that's the easiest way to judge it. But, um, I mean, I guess that's how I would define it. Like I said, success in life is a little bit different for me. I think they can be different, but um, I think those can go hand in hand, too. And my goal is to have a great career, go to Jacksonville, win some Super Bowls, do everything I can to make the city as great as I can. And then, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a success, winning, winning Super Bowls. All those things are part of my goals and something I want to do. Um, but like I said, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I just want to go there, take it day by day, and get to work. All right, last thing. I said to Dabo Sweeney, your, your head coach at Clemson earlier, you're an alien. And the reason I say that is you're this – generational talent as a player, but you have this perspective as a human being that's extremely rare, period, but especially at your age. How was that honed? How, how, how was this person built that became the number one pick and managed all that comes with it this way? 
I really think it's from the people I've had in my life and that I've been surrounded with, the people that God has really just put in my life, and it's no coincidence. I think it's helped groom me into who I am, and then also the people that I've chose to have in my life. I think there's definitely a strategy behind that, and surrounding yourself with good people, I think that's the most important thing. Um, and no one's ever let me get arrogant, no one's ever let me get the big head, and just surrounding myself with people that care about me for me, and not really what I do, or how I do it, or how good I do it, or whatever, just really love me for me. And then I've, I've noticed everything else kind of falls in line. I'm able to really maximize what I have, and just use it to the best of my ability. It's insanely impressive, young man. Congratulations. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you so much for having Appreciate us here. As I said there before uh, Travis rolled the interview, and I said all week long leading up, and I've said the entire draft season, and I said while he was at Clemson, that's a really special soul. Such unbelievable perspective for somebody who's 21. And I told him, I was, I didn't think, he doesn't owe anybody any explanations. After that Sports Illustrated article came out and his whole message was, I love football. I work really hard at football. I study my ass off in football. I work on my game. I'm constantly trying to get better, but football does not define me. I don't want the definition of Trevor Lawrence to be quarterback only because that's not what he is. And I told him, like, I, I understand why he went and qualified his commentary, but I didn't think he needed to. He didn't. Because he oh. doesn't know anybody, any explanations. Tate don't lie, as our boy Todd McShay always tells us. And I mean, Tate don't lie. He lost two games in his college career. That's it. I wish I knew the reporter who wrote this, because I'd like to shout him out. Forgive me if you happen to be listening Unless the Jacksonville Jaguars go 17-0, and Trevor Lawrence will lose the first regular season game of his life. He never lost one in high school. He never lost one in college. And that is unbelievable to me. That's unreal. And that's, that's one thing that's going to be interesting for his head coach, too, is those guys have never done failure. It'll be, it's going to be really interesting to see how they they manage that because one loss in college football is the season and Urban and Trevor just they don't lose. I think it's going to be amazing. I really do. I'm loving. I love the pair. I mean, you know that I'm tight with Trevor, and you know I'm tight with Urban. And I talked to Urban on Thursday afternoon before the NFL draft uh, in the early afternoon there for for 15 or so minutes. And I went kind of down the list of everything he was feeling and the pressure of having the number one pick. And he said to me, dude, 25, they had 25 as well, and they took Travis Etienne, the running back out of Clemson, at 25. And he said 25 is way more pressure than one because someone can take at 23 the guy I'm targeting for 25. Nobody can touch my one. They've known since – 2019 that Trevor was going to be number one. We knew that. Back then, when after his freshman season of, of college, everybody said if he went out this year, he'd be the number one pick. So we all knew that was a foregone conclusion. But on top of that, Urban also said to me, look, we have really good players in Jacksonville. Don't let anybody tell you different. We have pieces. He loves his staff. He feels like he's got guys that are willing to work hard. And – 
and he has a generational quarterback. And I feel like, whoa, dude, what just happened? Oh, my wife is taking my truck. I thought it just thundered so loud that my pickup truck turned on. <laughs> my wife is taking my truck. Wow, that was kind of crazy. Anyway, um, the, 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 most, the most telling thing that Urban said to me during our conversation was that in his estimation, it was the most important day in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars franchise. And he was coming out of his shoes. He said he felt like game day to him. He said he feels like the energy around the Jacksonville franchise is unbelievable. He said, we have very good core players. I don't buy that they're bad players. Yes, we have to play better. But the core group is fantastic. And now we're going to add 10 draft picks. And so he feels very confident. And to your point, Travis, I can't wait to see what those two are able to do together. I think it's actually beneficial that they're coming in together. I do. I just I, I feel like there's going to be a fight within those two, and they're going to be inextricably linked because they're both rookies. Yep. And it's interesting that those comments Urban had about the, the players on the roster because one of the things he always said while in college is he hated when coaches would take over a program and they talk about the roster not being that good or they're not their guys. And he said, no, the second year, the head coach, those are your guys. And they're, you have to be there for them. And that's so I'm not shocked by those comments at all because that's kind of his mentality is, you know, whether or not he obviously he didn't pick any of those guys on the roster right now. Those are his guys right now. And he'll, he's, he'll go to war with them. Well, I can't wait to see what they do. And I mean, you know me, I'm a Carolina Panthers guy. And now my boy Sam Darnold's behind center for the Panthers, and that's I love that. But don't think that I'm not going to be cheering for Jacksonville in the AFC big time. Let's go back to Thursday morning afternoon. What was it like hanging out, and what was Trevor's kind of demeanor so with the buildup? Relaxed. Now, he admitted to me afterwards that he was nervous. And I could sense that a little bit. Like there was just a look on his face that was a little bit anxious. But he was remarkably relaxed for a guy whose life was about to change. And I found that to be just so apropos, as we say on Marty and McGee, for him because he is always composed. I talked to Dabo before the draft as well. He was at the party, and we went outside of the party, he and I and my crew, the Crown Town Films boys and Patrick. We went out there and interviewed Dabo for College Game Day on Saturday about myriad topics. And after that was done, Dabo and I were walking back in. The part draft was about to start. And I said, I want to ask you one more thing for my own knowledge. How is Trevor able to carry all this? How is he able to stay so composed with everything that comes at him all the time? He goes, dude, this is normal. He goes, that's just his normal. It's been his normal since he was in eighth grade. And I said, I just don't, I don't understand. He goes, it's like you on television. He goes, if you're on television and all hell breaks loose and every, there's a breaking news story, that's when you are like, you're ready. You're trained and ready for that. Whereas most people in that situation would short circuit. And I said, I, I guess I just, look, I marvel at, at it. And I, I know I've used that word a lot. It's, 
It's the word. I, I admire that level of composure and grace. He has a lot of grace. Uh, faith-driven kid. And so I'm just thrilled for everybody, man. Uh, they, he, he deserves everything good he gets. You're right, though. Like, very rarely does he have an expression on his face. He's kind of just stone-faced for the most part. And you even mentioned it in that interview at the beginning when he, you know, cracked that smile because he's just – you can never tell if he's too high or too low. He just kind of stays even keel, and it's amazing. When he got the call, I was so – I'm so grateful that I was looking at him and watching him when he got the call from Urban. The smile on his face, I, 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 it was a beautiful moment because he, it was an, he could not contain anymore the joy that was all that expectation and all that buildup and all that anticipation was finally true. Concrete, unequivocal truth. I am going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. And he got this smile. I have a photo of it. I'll send you, Travis. But just in a, a beautiful moment for everybody in his life and and just really thrilled for him. Really what, was the, what was the room like right when Jacksonville went on the clock and then – Tense. Like then it that, was – And then that phone rang. What was that like? It was tense. Like it was – it was a there. it wasn't – I don't – tense – I don't know if tense is the right anxious energy, like anxious all of us. A good word. But there was a lot going on behind the scenes that people don't know about on the TV side. I'm gonna shout out my crew just a minute. The Wi-Fi at the house was a problem. There were 65, 70 people in there, whatever the number was. Everybody on the Wi-Fi. There were for for the for the actual like NFL. There was this TVU. But there was this, there was this stand with a camera on it, a little teeny camera that was that was focused on Trevor's seat. Well, that thing, I, it couldn't. It, we were out in the middle of nowhere. Wi-Fi wasn't working very well, and so at the last, I mean, I'm not kidding you, Travis. With five minutes to spare before the draft they audibled and said, we got to take ESPN's cameras because we had a satellite truck there. So Greg and Sam Herdeman, Corey Harrelchak, Patrick Abrahams, my boys, my crew, took everything we had set up, already done, ready to go, cameras locked down, lights in place, seats in place for the sit-down interview you guys just heard that was already prepared and ready to go. They had to tear every bit of it down, completely relocate every bit of it so that you could see Trevor Lawrence on television. And it was, a, it was remarkable. I sat there and watched them. I wanted to help, but I was just kind of in the way, really. I was going to say, you, you know, with, with those guys, they're going to get it done. It's, you want to help, but you're, you know, with you and technology, you're better off just letting them go to work. I've been around the goal. Well, Patrick's smart. Patrick wanted me to focus on the interview. He didn't, he's like, don't get distracted, just focus on the interview. Because look, there's no debating, it's a humongous stage. I mean, millions and millions of people are watching that moment. And so I, I'll be honest with you, I was going back and forth between two questions, Travis. The first one was obvious. How do you describe this moment in your life? That's obvious. Vivian, my nine-year-old, could ask that one. The second one is important. Now, 
we didn't know if there was going to be a second one because there might not have been enough time. What if the Jets come back and they're like, we're ready. We want Zach Wilson right now. But that didn't happen, so there was time for a second one. So I went back and forth. and This is pulling the curtain back a little bit. I went back and forth in my mind all the way up until the question came out of my mouth. I was debating with myself. Do I ask, what is the weight of being the anointed one? Or do I ask, what do you hope to deliver to Jacksonville? Those were the two questions that I was debating on the draft. What should it be? But I ultimately just went with my gut. And I thought, because I wanted Trevor to be able to speak to the Jacksonville fans. But that's not, in that moment, I made the decision in my own head, I'm going to ask him about being the anointed one because that's a human element story. What has it been like to carry that weight? And when he looked at me and said, man, it's really heavy sometimes, I went, yep, that's it. And so I'm so proud of my guys. I'm so proud of Greg and Sam and Corey and Patrick because what they did was amazing. It was amazing to watch them in, with great clairvoyance, they didn't have to talk to each other. Well, that's another thing you guys got to remember here. There's so the way it worked with the actual draft was Trevor's nuclear family and a bunch of his sponsorship representatives were in the room and us and, and, and ESPN. All of the teammates, all of the buddies, they were in, a, in an adjacent room because we just couldn't fit everybody in there. And so Again, it's this anxious energy. We're battling the clock big time right now. And those guys pulled it off and you, nobody at home knew. One final question before we move to the rest of your weekend. How do you think uh, Clemson and South Carolina fans are handling this uh, Trevor Lawrence, Darius Rucker uh, partnership that we uh, saw? So I was... Standing at our set, which was right beside, you know, where what all you guys saw with the couch where Trevor was sitting when he got drafted. It was right beside that. And I had my back to the kitchen and I get grabbed on my arm behind from behind me. And I turn around and it was Darius. And I've known Darius for years through Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR driver. They're very close friends. And Darius and I have gotten to know each other over the years, and he always gives me a bunch of crap because I'm at Clemson so often. He is as hardcore South Carolina Gamecock as you're ever going to find. The proudest alumnus on earth. He's the most famous South Carolina fan. And so I turned around and I saw Darius standing there, and it was like I looked – I didn't look at him, I looked through him because it wasn't processing. It was so out of context that, I mean, I, I think he looked at me like, does Marty not know who I am right now? And I'm like, what's up, bro? And I gave him a hug. I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, wait, what? What? Aren't this? Isn't this across a enemy lines? And Darius told me that he's part of the MGC Sports Management Group that now helps manage Trevor's life. And I thought, that's amazing. But I just, people are, Laney brought this up last night to me at dinner. It's amazing how people operate. Because the photo of Trevor and I, right before we went live at the, after he got drafted, went on the internet. It blew up with people going, is that Hootie? 
Like people zoom in, they check out every little aspect, like every little morsel in every photograph. And I get that's like something that's new because with hard photographs, you can't do that, right? And so just interesting, but that's why Darius was there. Dabo and him shared a great laugh. Uh, Clemson's, by the way, Clemson's, Clemson football social media team is amazing. And they did a great job. There was a great moment where Darius Dabo was saying, one of your songs is my go-to. And I forget which song it was, but they were laughing together. And, and Clemson's staff captured that photo. They put it on their social media, and it just said, all in, question mark, which, of course, is Clemson's motto. And, uh, and that's just a really, really good moment. That's what makes college sports so great is so many fans are, you know, going nuts over this one photo because it's a fan of the rival school hanging out. And it's, that's just what makes college football, especially the best. There's nothing better. I can't I, dude. I'm going to tell you, so we'll, we'll transition to the Kentucky Derby now because the energy of having people in the stadium again was so fulfilling hearing it, feeling the energy, feeling the wave of emotion that comes with sports was a beautiful thing to feel again. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't feel that at the national championship. And that could be because we weren't in the crowd. Roman and Jordan and Tebow and myself were way up above the field all by ourselves in a concourse. So we didn't feel that immediate energy. It may have been there. But at the Kentucky Oaks on Friday, there were 41,000 fans there, and it sounded like 41 million to us. On Saturday, there were just south of 55,000 fans there at the Derby, and it was so beautiful, man. People were so happy. There was just joy and glee and euphoria in the air everywhere you walked, everywhere you looked. I took 7 million selfies and was just so glad to be around people again. What was it like when uh, my old Kentucky home was played with those fans uh, there? Emotional, but it was, all, it was equally emotional. So I was with Barry Odom. I went and saw Barry. So, again, let's, let's, uh, let's bring you guys kind of behind Our the boy. logistics curtain. We broadcast – Saturday was a bear, dude, because I got there at like 6.20 in the morning or so. I started Marty and McGee. I did the first block, 7 to 7.11. I then switched over to Sports Center, did a 7.20 a.m. live shot, switched back to Marty and McGee for a block. I think you did, did three You did three live shots, right, in, in between Marty and McGee. I think it was four. It might have been three and a taped one. Yes. So I think it was three and a taped one. And then I did the bulk of Marty. I did, I did the rest of Marty and McGee through the 10 o'clock out uh, through, through 10 a.m. Then I did a 1040 a.m. live shot with the guys you're about to hear from, uh, the boat racing LLC guys. And then I did the daily wager three times with the bear, Chris Felica. So at 1.15, I think, or so, we were unable to broadcast anymore because NBC gets an exclusive broadcast window for all of its hours-long pre-race buildup, which they bought and they deserve. At that time, I have nothing to do. I can't do anything until the race is over. So I went and saw Barry and his wife 
and their friends in this box that they got for the Derby. And, dude, we laughed and cut up and had an absolute blast. I love that man. And it was a great time. And then I went and bet, placed my bets. And then I went and met my crew, my crew, Christine Kugler, who is the the horse racing daggone czar at ESPN. She knows ever she's forgotten more than I'll ever know. I'm so grateful to have her as a producer. And Kayline Shouts is my shooter at the Derby. He is one of the best alive and one of the sweetest human beings ever. And his daughter Abigail is a horse racing nut. So us four are our crew for ESPN every year. And, um, and so we all met uh, right there at the paddock. We were not allowed to go into the paddock this year because of COVID. Only NBC was allowed in there. And, but then we walked onto the racetrack like we get to do every year. That's an insane blessing. And off they went. And Never bet against Baffert. I'm telling you, it was amazing to watch Medina Spirit lead wire to wire with a torrid pace. It was the seventh fastest derby in history. There have been 147 of them, and it was the seventh fastest ever. And just an amazing experience. And the weather, listen, I've, Travis, I've never gotten to do a derby when I wasn't soaking wet and my suit had mud all over it. My shoes were ruined and all that stuff. The weather on that day was touched by God. I, I was going to say perfection. You uh, have gotten lucky this year. The Masters, we had an hour of rain one of those days that we were there. And then the Derby Dry, this is the first time, because even the Masters the past couple, there's always been weather. You've you've uh, hit the jackpot this year. Yep. And I don't believe in luck. I think we're blessed. The sports um, gods uh, said we owe you one. It was, I mean, what a, what a, what an amazing day. And – so anyway, uh, my boy Hot Rod Charlie finished third overall. He finished in the money. And uh, the night before the Derby, I went to the Rabbit Hole Distillery, which held a party for like 100 plus family, friends, and former teammates of the Boat Racing LLC guys, all five of them. Uh, pre-derby party and they invited us there we sat down with them uh, before the party really got underway and before we discussed the party and those guys as people here is my conversation the night before the Kentucky Derby with the five gentlemen that make up boat racing LLC gentlemen first congratulations for getting here uh what an amazing accomplishment and a dream. We'll get into that in a minute, but it's the eve of the Kentucky Derby. Can you even believe this? It is beyond our wildest expectations when we decided to go into this venture together. We just were doing it for the, for the fun of it, and we found ourselves in an unbelievable position that many people try for years and years and years, and we just feel very fortunate to be here. Yeah, I mean, like, there, there, there's nothing like this. It, we're in Louisville, Kentucky for the first time ever. I've never been here before. I've never been to Kentucky Derby before. I'm here with my four best friends. Like, this is unbelievable. I, I, I couldn't have dreamt this up. This is what we signed up for. Not the Kentucky Derby, but having 165 of our friends, family, brothers, cousins, 
everybody here having a good time, and this is what this, you know, this is why we this is why we did this. Think about the setting. You know, we're at the Pantheon of horse racing at Churchill Downs with the fourth choice in the 147th Kentucky Derby. You can't make this stuff up, and uh, it's certainly a blessing. And uh, we're just so privileged to be on this stage, and we're so excited for tomorrow. How do you define right now, Dan? What what is right now for you five? It's inconceivable, but at the same time, it's it's everything we ever dreamed and hoped this could be. I mean, this was the running joke when we started this was Kentucky Derby, ha ha ha, like we could be there, and like now we're here, and that's that's insane. But at the same time, it's it's so beautiful. We got our friends, we got our family here. We're here for each other, and and you know we're. You know, like you said, Marty, it's 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 not a it's not a moment; it's a movement for us, and and that's that's everything we, we ever wanted from this. I love that you fact that you just said that. That is fantastic. I I want to just kind of dive in on your story personally, real quick, because you talk about bloodlines. It's been in your family for so long. Now you are here as the owner of one. What does this mean to the O'Neill family? For you to be here. What instantly goes to my mind is certainly, I think about my dad, I think about my grandpa, as much as he uh, might have gambled a little bit too much, uh, and certainly I'm named after him, and I would say that to his face, um, he got us into this sport. And it's the sport of kings for a reason, sport of kings and queens nowadays, which is great. And, you know, I think about Doug starting at a level that was just, you know, $8,000 claimers at Los Alamitos, or $8,000 claimers at Bay Meadows, and getting to the point where he won the Kentucky Derby in 2012, and to couple that and bridge that from a family sport and a family business where Doug worked his butt off, Dennis worked his butt off to find the best horses in the game, and to bring my best friends in the world, these four guys that I made so many amazing memories with in Providence, Rhode Island, and Brown University, it's, uh, it's certainly a pinch me moment. How has Brown University responded to this? What, what, what has that situation been like? Well, to be honest, we haven't heard a ton from the institution itself. But I figure you guys would be 100% immediate distinguished alumni right now. The people that we care about the most, the people who have walked in our shoes and have experienced what we've experienced with the football team, the fraternity, our brothers, hundreds of them who have come before us, hundreds of them who have come after us, have texted us one-off, people we've never met before, reaching out saying, hey, the boys are behind you. Hey, Hot Rod Charlie's the worst of the people. And we're just living off of that momentum. And we're just really stoked to be here representing them and, and all people like them through the country, through the world, who are like feeling that we are representing the people who are, you know, not of the elite, not of like affluent means, who just want a group of people to cheer for, who want someone to back who is more relatable and, and we feel like we're representing them pretty well right now. What do you want to represent for the fans that are watching this race on Saturday evening? For me, it's really about, you know, unity. We started out talking a lot about brotherhood, but really it's bigger than just us five. It's about, you know, the 35 people that were on our Brown senior class. It's about the coaches, it's about our families, it's about the thousands of people from all corners of the country that have come out to support Hot Rod Charlie and having that common goal, that common thing for us all to cheer for, and that excitement, that energy to compete on the highest stage in horse racing, this incredibly exciting sport. 
that's that's what it's about for for me. I think I think for a lot of us. Riley, are you aware how rare this is? It's so hard just to get a horse to the gate, man. And here you guys all sit together with <laughs> bourbon in your hand, deck to the nines. I mean, it's just crazy to me. I mean, ever since Louisiana, when we when we won that race, and we knew we were heading to Kentucky. The words unbelievable, unreal, surreal just kept coming out of my mouth. And like, I'm still trying to pinch myself, and I'm sitting here in Louisville a day before, 24 hours before we race. It's like, I can't believe this is happening right now. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. And yeah. So, Dan, as athletes, you know, you, you put in work in the specific effort to determine an outcome. But in this sport, you don't have a damn say in it. Nothing. You sit there and have your liquor and cheer and pray. Cheers. Cheers, man. I mean, what what know. is what is that like when when Hot Rod Charlie is in the gate and all you can do is hope? Yeah, it's out of your hands, and I mean that's that's a lot of life too. I think you know it's out of your hands. Um, the greatest thing about sports is what it teaches you about life, and horse racing teaches you. A number of just incredible lessons and I think some of those that we've learned is just watching the barn watching Tim O'Neill Hot Rod Charlie the discipline the humility the commitment and we're benefiting from that and yeah you know we we bring a lot of energy we bring a lot of excitement you know everything you give a horse it gives back to you in some way I think we all feel that good karma but we're benefactors. I mean, we're, we're becoming better people just by being close to this amazing sport. I love that whole thing, sports as a metaphor for life, because it's so true, especially in football. In football, all, when you step between the lines, all the socio-political crap that divides us out there is gone because you have to depend on him. You have to depend on him. You have to depend on him. And you have to depend on him to be the best, best version of him so that you can be the best version of you. That's the way it works. So I love discussing what this teaches you. As someone who didn't know the sport on the way in, you notwithstanding, what has it taught you about you? What have you learned about yourself in this venture with Hot Rod Charlie? For the five of us, it's a fairly low-touch operation. We have a lot on the line. We have a lot of stakes at hand. But we trust Team O'Neill wholeheartedly. It's Dennis telling us, hey, this is the horse that we think you should buy. It's Doug saying, hey, this is where we're going to train him. These are the races we're going to run him in. This is the regiment. And us saying, hey, we trust Team O'Neill. We understand you guys know what you're doing. And we're just here to enjoy it. We're here for the ride. And if he does well, outstanding. If he doesn't do well, hey, we're enjoying the experience every step of the way, and we're thrilled to be able to share with the people we care about most. What about you? What have you learned? I feel like for me, it's the crave for competitiveness and friendship. Like the reason we all got in this together was because we wanted to share in experiences together physically and like get together and just have unbelievable memories together. And um, when we hung up our cleats senior year after college it was like there was a void there was no competitiveness and like the sport of of kings and queens in, in horse racing that competitiveness is very very real and it, it is so fun just being able to rally around not just us five but all of our 150 60 70 people that have come out to, to rally behind charlie it's 
it's it's surreal. I say all the time, you you just nailed it. Athletes die twice. You die when you retire, no matter if that's high school level or for you guys the collegiate level or people like Peyton Manning. When it's over, it about kills you. Okay, you're pointing to Dan. Dan, what, what was that void for you? And how does this fill, help fill it? Yeah, when you hang up your cleats, that's, it hurts. Like, there's no way around that. And then you go off and go to a normal job and it's like, that's all there is, you know? You throw up your hands and it's like, my brothers, you know, my, my commitment to a greater purpose, this like passion I've had all my life, this greatness I've worked towards, and then it's it all starts over and and yeah and uh and then being able to recapture some of that i mean yeah it's like you're born again it's so true and i just want to touch on this i know we chatted about it on the podcast but i want it on on camera the philanthropic aspect of what you guys are doing i think it's beautiful i think it's beyond admirable why was it important for you guys to have that philanthropic arm patrick i think all of us five you know, and I give all the credit to these four brothers here. We're just so cognizant of what a wild ride we're on and what an amazing journey it's been. And to a degree, you know, we don't necessarily deserve this notoriety, this platform we're given, this fame. And so, you know, we talked after the Louisiana Derby and we said to ourselves, like, hey, you know, we have an opportunity to do something that's, you know, bigger than ourselves. And so, you know, it, came to the idea that we should look at charities. And, you know, kind of, it hits deep for me. Each one of these guys were like, why don't we do something for your dad who passed away my senior year, um, who passed away the melanoma. And we were calling it kind of our six man initiative. And so everybody knows that the six man in basketball is the individual that, you know, goes above and beyond. He comes off the bench, he's gritty, he is a spark plug, and he kind of wills the team to victory. And so that's the idea that, you know, we're bringing to our notoriety, our platform, and we're donating a sixth of our earnings for not just the Kentucky Derby, but, you know, all of Chuck, who is what we call Hot Rod Charlie. He's a guy's guy uh, going forward from now through the end of the year. Um, and we just feel really, really good at it. We're donating a sixth of our earnings to the Melanoma Research Alliance. And they uh, have given $123 million to research from the 2011 to today and at the time when my dad passed you know they had two cures for stage 4 melanoma and today they have 11 so it hits home uh, and you know I love these guys for being willing to do something so significant for myself and my family and uh, you know just you know cheers to you guys cheers to that cheers okay let me try to I know I've said it. I know I said it last week, but having now spent much more time with those guys and uh, I would count them as friends now. Um, I just want to take a moment to repeat their spirit really moves me. I'm a better man for knowing those five young men. They, so, so at the party, after that conversation you guys just heard, I ran off. As you guys know, I'm a Jack Daniels guy, and Jack held a virtual party for its squires, of which I am one. I've been a Tennessee squire since 2003, I think. And they did a virtual chat 
my boy Greg Lears from Brown Foreman, the parent company for Jack Daniels, uh, asked me to do it. We went over to the old Forrester showroom, which is beautiful, by the way. It's pretty new. If y'all are in Louisville, make sure you go by the old Forrester uh, distillery showroom. It's, it's stupid, really. It's beautiful. I did that event for those guys chatting, you know, NFL draft, derby, masters, whatever. And then I promised the boat racing guys that I would come back because their parents wanted to say hello and their friends wanted to say hello. And as I went into the party, uh, the energy in that party was like a family reunion is what it felt like. And to get to spend time learning these guys and what kind of makes them tick and what kind of teammates they were at Brown and what positions they played at Brown and all of those things just filled me up so much. I met, as I walked in the door to the party, the very first person that I met, this, this impeccably dressed gentleman walked up to me and it was Riley Higgins' father. Uh, Riley's one of the five members of Boat Racing LLC, himself a strikingly handsome kid. And Mr. Higgins and I chatted for a long time, and he was so gracious. And I just was really filled up big time by, by meeting these guys. And, and then I met Alex. I, I, I still can't. I'm, uh, I've spent so much time with Alex now, I should know how to say his last name. He even said it to me in the interview there. I think it's Kaser. Um, He's an amazing guy, too. I met his father and spent a lot of time chatting with him, and they're all just such kind, gracious people. I can see where those young men get their spirit from. But before I, I told them all, I cannot stay, guys. I haven't slept. I barely slept on Thursday night after the NFL draft. I drove straight to the Charlotte airport, got about three hours of sleep, hopped on an airplane to Louisville. And so I was gassed, and I don't have it in me anymore. I turned 45 last month. I don't have all those back-to-backs in me anymore, not if I'm going to be good on TV. Well, and that's, that's the thing is, and you also know, we've all been there where someone says, you know, stay for one more drink, just one more. Well, that's and how, it, I mean, as we learned last week, Travis, that's how Boat Racing LLC was formed. And it's, it's <laughs> never just one more. And when you know that you have to be up early and beyond doing the show and doing TV hits, you want to, but you can't. Like I remember when I was at uh, Bama LSU and Friday Friday nights at the hotel, and people were getting ready to go out, and they're like, "Just come out, for, just have one drink." And I'm like, "Guys, I can't. I've got to produce a seven hour show, and I've played this game before, and it's never just one, and it it'll backfire. You can't do it. No, your responsibility is to be great. That is now, that is our responsibility. If we've been given the blessing of the platform." If ESPN and all of our bosses and all of our producers and all of our colleagues believe enough in us to be offered that, that platform, we damn sure better deliver. You guys cannot imagine how seriously I take this job. You can't imagine how grateful I am for it and how I will never forsake the opportunities. And as a result of that, I give every last ounce I got to every assignment. It's Luke 12, 48 in the Bible, to whom much is given, much is expected. And 
I take that Bible verse very seriously, not only in giving back to other people and having a spirit that shines for other people, but also my job. Because I've been blessed with this life and I don't ever take that for granted. I will not. What I love the most of the boat racing guys is, yeah, they're going, they're making some money, but that wasn't the reason they got into this. They all have their, they all have full-time jobs. They're smarter than us, Travis. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. But they, this was, how can we stay connected more than a group text and some concerts or vacations here and there? And that's what I love And their energy, you know, and your live shot, you could feel it. Uh, NBC's broadcast, they show them outside the paddock and they had the fans chanting like it was a damn football game. Like they brought energy to a sport that, yeah, it has it, but there's a lot of, you know, they carry it differently. They brought it's, the, it's kind of like when the fans were chanting Tiger at 18, you don't see it that often. That's what the energy they were creating there. It's, it's like I always say about when we were at the 18th tee in 2019 at the Masters. It was irreverent in a way. Augusta is never irreverent. And those boys made Churchill Downs irreverent in a way. It's very rarely irreverent. And I love every second of it because you know me in passion. If those guys are nothing else, they ooze passion. And I just love it. And, again, I, I'll, I'll shut up about it now, but I'm grateful for them, and, and I mean this. I am a better man for having gotten to fellowship with them and spend time with them. And, and we ain't done. They're going to Preakness. We're already setting up our, uh, we're already setting up our, uh, our time to fellowship at the Preakness as well. I loved uh, in your live shot that you did with them, Hannah Storm asked you about your jacket and the lining that you had on the inside, which we spoke about last week where you had a bunch of horses racing, but then you brought up the guys and what they had and they had boats on the inside. And man, so that was a sweet looking jacket. They yeah, had, they, they, they look good. And I love too. Um, did you see the beads they were wearing? Yeah. What were those? I inquired about that. Uh, so, so Patrick O'Neill is Hawaiian and, uh, you know about lays. Yeah. So lays are for ladies. The beads are a sign of peace for the gentleman. And I never knew that. And so uh, that's what, uh, that's why they were wearing those beads. Like what they, they look like to me is an Ohio State fan. You people always have Buckeye necklaces. Yeah. And it, it looks similar to that. So I was, I was curious what it was. And so I'm glad that uh, the reporter in you. It was that definitely out. not. A Buckeye necklace. I mean, I would, I would be cool if it was. Well, I uh, what an amazing week. I, I, my blessings are so rich. Uh, another one of my favorite parts of my week was getting to take my sweet Mia for ice cream. Uh, one part of this job that's hard on all of us is we miss things. And my it sweet was Mia's Mimi, birthday, right? My sweet Mimi had her 12th birthday on the 30th of April which was last Friday. And since we knew I wasn't going to be here on Wednesday after school, I took her over to the ice cream shop and we sat there together and we snuck a little, her, her siblings still don't know. We went over and had ice cream together and we sat there and we talked together and I am so inspired by her little mind. She's a sharp little nugget. And 
just learning about her life and her friendships and things that inspire her and her artistic talent and all of those things. I just eat it up like a buffet. And that was one of my favorite parts of my week was getting to spend that time with my sweet little Mima. And that's very nice of me because if I was in her position and was able to get ice cream while my siblings didn't, you better believe I was going to make sure that they knew about it. Yeah. We actually told her, yeah, let's just kind of keep that between us. <laughs> she's, she's, she's better than you and me. Her, hey, look, her siblings made out like bandits. Don't get me wrong. Mia had like four parties. She had that deal with daddy. She got a, a deal with our nuclear family minus me. She got a deal with her girlfriends. She got a deal with her dance team. She's on comp- in competitive dance and she got a deal with her dance team. So she did all right. Even though dad was at the Churchill Downs, she's cool. <laughs> what was all the right. ice cream that you went with? I'll shut up now. Oh, I, dude, I go with the same thing every time. I go with a combo of vanilla frozen yogurt and strawberry lemonade frozen, like a sherbet, all mixed together with sprinkles on it. Sprinkles are underrated, dude. No, sprinkles are overrated. Sprinkles do not get due justice. They're, they don't provide anything. Yes, they do. They provide now taste wise, they may not. They provide a little texture. That's it. The little crunch that they give you is just enough to really appease me. Of course, what I want to dump on is a bunch of Reese cups and Reese pieces. I was wondering if you had any sort of peanut butter with that's why I was asking. I told you. Did I, have I talk to you about peanut butter recently? You gave it up. Yeah, I have not eaten it in like three months now. Yeah, but sprinkles overrated. I don't I don't need them. Well, I love them. And Mia, she, oh my Lord, she had like four different ice creams. She had like gummy worms on there. She had like, I don't even know what all she had going on. I didn't care. I said, you get whatever you want. She had I you, think her she, ice cream was like 14 bucks. She had you wrapped <laughs> around her. She had you wrapped around her finger, didn't she? Oh, they all do. But both my daughters do. I mean, it's not even close. Like that's one thing about being a, being a girl dad is, you know, you, you can say, well, I parent them all the same. That's a bold faced lie. If you got boys and you got girls, you do not parent them the same. And uh, I'm hard as hell. On, I'm hard. I'm, like I am my father. My fathering philosophy is I do expect a lot of them because I want your very best. I want everything you got in whatever you're doing. And I, 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 what do I preach all the time? I want kindness, effort, and passion. My kids roll their eyes now. They hear me say it every single day. When I drop them, I dropped Cameron and me off this morning in a carpool line. Kindness, effort, passion. You be nice to your people. You give every last ounce of everything that you got. And you do it with undeniable positive energy today. I love you more than anything in the world. Have a great day. Their teachers are probably hearing it. Like the doors are open when I'm saying it. So anyway, all right, I'll shut up. Thank you guys for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for supporting Marty Smith's America. Travis and I appreciate it. Please subscribe, rate, review. Please leave us a review. Hit us up on the Twitter machine at Travis Rockhold, at Marty Smith ESPN. Uh, Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials, our firemen, our first responders, and the United States military. We are so grateful for you guys and your sacrifice because we live in a free land. And I'm so grateful to live in a free land. Be good. This is Marty Smith's America. See y'all next week.